Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're concluding our crash course series for each position in CFF, and this week we're talking about our big boys, our streaming kings, our cheat codes, and potential league winners. Yes, sir, we're talking about the tight ends today. And we'll also be spending some time for those of you who have defenses and kickers in your league because those special teams deserve some special attention. We'll be covering the top options at each position, as well as who we think are being underrated for each. All this and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison, junior touchdown. Marvelous Mar. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning at 6 a.m. If you want to support the great work we are doing over here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three amazing tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, including rankings, articles, tools, and even more than that. On YouTube, you'll also find our CFF Mock Draft live streams where we do a CFF draft every Sunday night live with a different guest up until the start of the season. This week, we have the dynamic duo from CFF Lists on Twitter. I got Jeremy Miller and William Barnett joining me. It's an absolute blast. Go check that out. If you're listening to this, it should be live on YouTube already. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at chasing the natty y'all the crash course series is coming to an end it's been phenomenal the last couple of weeks you guys have really embraced this format um it's been a ton of fun bringing on a ton of awesome guests to break down each of the positions and so this week we're kind of going with a bang because we're covering three different positions in this crash course and so in order to help me out with that i had to bring on one of the most knowledgeable and like just the person who has by far, as far as I know, the most experience in college fantasy that I know, and that is the Great Iron Scholar himself, Mr. John Lobb. John, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, and thank you for the kindness of just, I'm really just old. That's what the most <laughs> experience means in this, but I appreciate it. And I really do like talking tight ends because I do think it's an underrated position. Most sir? people don't delve enough into this position. And I've learned this, Jared, over the years. If you bomb on the college tight ends, it is very hard to win your league. And I've been there dumpster diving where you're trying to pick up streaming tight ends and you get two points a week and your opponent gets 22. It's really difficult. So this is a very important position that I hope people are going to watch and learn today. I agree 100% because like there's it's been it's so hard like people talk about streaming at tight ends in the NFL all the time and like it's a bit more feasible to do that when you only have 32 teams to keep track of the 
defensive performances are a little bit more consistent on a week-by-week basis. But if you try to do that in college, it really is just borderline impossible. Like, you're kidding yourself when you try to do that. So, in my opinion, it is far more important that you get it right in the drafts. Um, I wish I wrote down these numbers, but I know a lot of the guys do a champion series every year, which is where they... It's 12 drafters. They do 12 drafts throughout the offseason. They each pick out of a different spot every single time. And it's just 12 best ball drafts. And they said last year, the people who would go up and get Brock Bowers or Michael Meyer would absolutely win or won a ton of those best balls last year versus the people who thought they could wait until the very end of their drafts and think, oh, every one of these guys got the high upside here. A lot of them got burnt really badly. Now, of course, there were some people who drafted a Dalton Kincaid. There were some people who weirdly maybe drafted a CJ Donaldson or something like that. But like, <laughs> it really does show that like nailing tight end is super important. And if you aren't familiar with the tight end pool, if you aren't somebody who feels good about going and getting those guys late, you should reach up and grab a guy like Brock Bowers or a Rondé Gatson this year. We'll get to some of those guys here in a bit but john do you kind of agree with that oh absolutely my friend i know you and i play a lot of best balls together i'm not in all the championship series i'm in a couple other ones the cff i've done a bunch with you and over i think i played cff best ball for this is my fifth year now not exactly maybe fourth year um and what i've learned is when i don't have production at the tight end jared your best ball team is crushed. Yep. And I used to my first year or two, I would only draft two tight ends. And a couple Mistake. things I noticed. Oh, I've noticed one. If you have an injury, you're just dead right there. Mm-hmm. And then if the team that you have injury, if you pick the wrong player and then you have a bye week, I mean, Jared, you're looking at zero to three points a week. I don't do a best ball draft now without going three deep at the tight end. And sometimes I'll go four, you know, like you had mentioned Brock Bowers and Aronde Gadsden. If I have Brock Bowers, I'll probably go three deep. Mm -hmm. If I don't have that type of player, I'm probably going to go four deep because I know it sounds crazy, but you want at least eight points. And that's a floor Mm -hmm. at your tight end position. I go four tight ends in pretty much every single one of my best ball drafts. If I get a Bowers or an Aronde Gatson early on in the draft, it really just changes how late or how early do I start grabbing my third and fourth tight end. Because if I don't yes. have one of those guys, then I'll move up to or I'll I'll draft those guys a little bit earlier versus if I have one of those guys, I'm like, yeah, I'll take a shot in the 29th and 30th round on a high upside guy. So Let's get right on into it, Lob. This is a Crash Course series. Just like the last couple of weeks, we are going to get into the top 12 at the position, and then we're going to go 13 through 24 for the tight ends. We're not going to go all the way down to 36 because, again, tight ends, you don't really need to go that deep. A lot of the guys that we know and love are in the top 34 or the top 24 here, and we'll get to a couple guys that go outside that range here in a minute. So let's go ahead and pull up. Our top 12 here, I'm going to run through these real quick. And then, Lob, I'm going to ask you afterwards to kind of give your overall thoughts on the top 12 here, any common themes that you see here. But first, let me run through it real quick. For those of you who are not familiar with the player pool this year and are just joining us and want to know who the tight end options are, 
Number one, Mr. Brock Bowers out of Georgia, and number two, Aronde Gadsden Jr. out of Syracuse. For those of you who don't know, he moved from, or he is officially now a tight end in a fan tracks, even though he is utilized as a wide receiver at Syracuse. They call him a tight end, so fan tracks calls him a tight end. Those two have been the back and forth one and two ever since that change was made. Up next, you got Brant Keithy out of Utah, Jatavian Sanders out of Texas. Those are your three and four. Um, right there, number five, RJ Maryland out of SMU. Number six, Luke Lachey out of Iowa. Number seven, Jalen Conyers out of Arizona State. Number eight, Mason Taylor out of LSU. Number nine, Brady Hunt out of Ball State. Number 10, Bryson Nesbitt out of UNC. Number 11, Corey Dyches, the tight end wide receiver hybrid out of Maryland. And then last but not least, Caden Prescorn the tight end out of Ole Miss. Quick reminder for everybody, these top 12 are based on our consensus rankings over at campusdecanton.com. Already, like I'm looking at it, I see some pretty big differences between how we rank guys versus how ADP is going, and that'll be something I try to highlight throughout the show here today. But, Lob, looking at these top 12 guys right here, what's kind of a common theme that you see? If you don't get the top two, I want out of the... Uh, number three, Keithy, to number 12, Prescorn. I want two of them on my teams. And I think there is value here. I've gotten Corey Deitches late in so many drafts. You have him at number 11, and I like him a ton myself playing with Maryland. They have a lot of turnover at wide receiver. They have a fifth-year quarterback, which I like. I think Deitches is in for a big season. So you can easily get Jatavian Sanders and Corey Deitches or, uh, you know, a Brent Keithy and Corey Deitches. So I love going and getting one of, you know, either Keithy, Sanders, or Maryland, and then coming down at the end and getting Nesbitt, Deitches, and Prescorn. And one of the things that I think is important, not only does it benefit your team, I think we don't, consider enough how monopolizing this position really hurts your opponents Mm -hmm. if you can win in a best ball you can win the tight end position you know anywheres from eight to 12 points on a weekly basis that going that is going to really help you so when you're dipping into two of these 12 you are hurting at least four of the other teams because they're going to be scrambling to trying to get someone on their roster. So I love this player pool. Yes. I think, you know, I love this, how you guys have them ranked because you know, it, it, it it, um, factors in everyone's different of opinions. So if you're out there ranking and I think, I hope everyone does, or at least has their own perspective, rank your players and find value. Mm -hmm. There will be value at this tight end position that falls. No, absolutely. I'm looking at my 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 own separate rankings over here on my right versus I'm I'm looking at my top 12 here. I have guys in my top 12 that are not touching the top 12 we have right here. So guess who I go after in my drafts later in drafts? I'm like cuz I know I'm higher on them than everybody else. And so much of these tight ends the ADPs on these guys can vary so wildly outside of really the top four guys. I mean, we still have kind of the next tier after that, but even so, like I've been surprised by some guys who drop, some guys who've risen, and we'll get into some of that here in a bit. But 
definitely take advantage of that. When you see a guy fall that you wouldn't expect you normally to, absolutely take advantage of it. Bryson Nesbitt is a guy I'm going to talk about later, not really in a positive light, but I got him in the 19th round the other day in um, in one of our live stream drafts. That's not something I normally see. So yeah, I took the shot on him. He's like my third tight end off the board. Why the heck not? All right. So now, just like with these crash courses, we're not going to go through every single one of these guys because we straight up just do not have time. So what we are going to do is that John and I are going to highlight two guys in this range that we think are truly the most important guys to talk about in this range. We'll start with my guys here. Brock Bowers and Ronda Gasson, not my two guys, but clearly the top two guys going off at the beginning of the first or at the end of the first, second, beginning of the second round of pretty much every draft out there. But it is super important to me that we talk about the next two guys, Mr. Brant Keithy and Jatavian Sanders. I'm going to put both of those guys up here because last year I remember I was a big proponent of like, I'm not reaching up to get Brock Bowers. I'm not reaching up to get Michael Meyer. I'd so much rather get Michael Trigg and Zach Kuntz three or four rounds later. And guess what? That bit me in the butt so hard last year because both of those guys absolutely tanked. But there's this perceived idea that they're the clear next tier after the top two guys. We have pretty much the same thing happening here with um, Brant Keithy and Jatavian Sanders. Again, Brock Bowers, Ronda Gaston, first, second round guys. Clear next tier comes with Brant Keithy and Sanders coming off in the 6th, 7th round range. And then you get several more rounds before the next guys start coming off the board. Guys like Mason Taylor, Benjamin Yurisek, RJ Maryland, all these guys. So clearly, we as a community have put these two guys on a higher tier than the rest of those guys. My question today, is that warranted? Let's talk about Brant Keithy here. Clear number two tight end last year, or this year during the offseason before Gadsden changed positions. This is something I kind of highlighted. He's dropped an ADP throughout the offseason. Earlier in the offseason, he was kind of going in that late fourth round, clear guy after Bowers. But ever since Gadsden really got put up into that clear number two option, Keithy's kind of fallen down a little bit into the same range as Jatavian Sanders, which I find very interesting. I'm not really sure what happened there. Lob, maybe you can give me some information about that here in a second. But last year, like we all know what Dalton Kincaid did, but to start the year, Keithy was on an absolute roll. Started with 21 fantasy points, 9.7 fantasy points, and 14.9 fantasy points in half-point PPR. Goes down with an ACL injury in week four, but through week three, he was the tight end two on the year. Like, he was off to an absolute monster start. And then, like I said, we saw what Kincaid did afterwards. Kincaid went on an absolute tear. He finishes the tight end two on the year. Um, finished top 12 tight ends weekly six times last season. So just absolute unheard of consistency. Was that what Brant Keithy was on his way to do last year before his injury? I don't know. But can he pick back up where he left off with what he was doing last year? Because if he does... He is an absolute steal right now going in the 6th, 7th round range because that's the same kind of ceiling that we would expect out of a Brock Bowers or Veronde Gatson. But again, is tickling me in the back of my head. Is this projection again? Is that injury something to be worried about? What do you think, Lob? Is Keithy... Is Keithy a value right now? Because again, he was going he was going higher earlier in the offseason, but he's kind of fallen a little bit since then. I do think Keithy's a value. And you brought back um, flashes 
of nightmares of drafting the second tier tight ends last year. So that happened to, to myself included. But he had a season ending injury last year. And he was so hot the first four games of the season, Jared. I think he's a really good move tight end at the college level. I think he's exceptional at it. I know we always talk about systems and schemes. This system at Utah, as long as Cameron Rising's pulling the trigger, the tight end position is going to be unbelievable. Now, we're all looking very closely for Cameron Rising. We want some yes, news. Sir. I mean, oh, my God, trying to get news on Cameron Rising. I've spent way too many hours searching the Internet for that news. That's a whole different story. But assuming he's going to be playing quarterback this year, for the most part, at least for a majority of the season, this offense likes to play in a phone booth. They're going to put a lot of people at the line of scrimmage. They love to smash their tight ends. They love to get them in traffic and bring, you know, they they pop open on routes. Yep. Cameron Rising's good at finding the open receiver. I like Keithy a lot. I, I don't think I've ever taken him in the fourth round. I like to find value. You mentioned he's fallen to the sixth or seventh. I love that for Keithy because mm-hmm. of the upside in this Utes offense, Jared. Absolutely. Again, I'm very high on Keithy. I think he's much closer to a Ronde Gaston and Brock Bowers in terms of his ceiling, his upside, where I think he will finish by the end of the year than the rest of the tight ends behind him. The other guy I want to talk about in this second tier, Jatavian Sanders, I kind of feel a little bit the opposite about here. And again, maybe I'll talk myself out of it as we kind of talk here a lot, but like he finishes as a tight end eight last year. He's a number two returning tight end in CFF this upcoming year. Three top 12 finishes last year, five in the top 25. So very consistent for the most part last year. We're all hoping this Longhorn offense just absolutely takes off this year. But does that come at the expense of Sanders? Only had seven plus targets in three games. So again, like you would have kind of hoping to see a bit more consistency there. Zero touchdowns in the last seven games of the season. So maybe some bad touchdown luck there, but also did... Texas just not incorporate him into the game plan as much, especially you would think they would, given that um, Ewers and Worthy were having some connection issues and there weren't really other options at the receiver position. But that's kind of my other point. Texas is upgrading at receiver this year. You got Adonai Mitchell coming in from Georgia. He'll play another outside option. He'll give Ewers another option on the outside. They get Isaiah Nayor back. I'm not sure what his role is going to be, but it's still another guy for them to put out there. Jonte Cook is a guy that's coming. Jordan Winting's still there. I don't think Jordan Winting's going to change much compared to what they had last year. But even still, like between those three guys, Mitchell, Nayor, and Cook, I do think that's going to take away some opportunity from Sanders and make it to where he can't finish into the top four tight ends like he's being taken in CFF right now. So he's the one I'm most worried about in the top four tight ends right now as the bust, I, I, relative bust potential. I think he's still probably at like at absolute floor. He's a top 30 tight end in CFF this upcoming year, and there's some value in that. But even still, there's a ton of guys in the tight end five to like 20 range that all have that as well. What makes Sanders so special? What do you think, Lob? 
I do like Sanders a lot this year. And I think I've drafted him in four 12 teams when he, there was a value on him. Um, probably around the fifth round. I really like that fifth round for Sanders. I think it's complex. But one thing that I've been attracted to is Bijan Robinson isn't on this team. And why is that important to me? He was probably the second best pass catcher that I've scouted in the last two years for my NFL draft profile series. Well, what does that tell me? Texas threw the ball to Bijan out of the backfield often. Mm-hmm. he's not there there's no one in that Longhorns backfield in my book that is even close to Bijan Robinson and if you watch Bijan he could attack the safety deep down the seam I mean he has some beautiful catches one-handed down the seam without that in the offensive repertoire right now Jared I think Sanders is going to be the guy I think they tweaked the offense just a little. I don't think anyone on Texas right now is has that skill set. With these receivers, and I'm going to do what I call rational coaching I got from Sigmund Bloom years ago. With those receivers, I should have Sanders in more one-on-one situations, Jared. Okay. When last year... I wanted Bijan in one-on-one situations. So what did I do? I schemed plays to give that to Bijan Robinson. Well, I think that's Sanders. 6'4", 243. He can get down the middle of the field. And when they have all that speed, Jared, on the outside, a good offensive coordinator is going to find holes in the middle of the field. Now, You're right, we have not seen it. And if you're going statistical base, yeah, he was kind of up and down. I mean, he wasn't bad, he wasn't great, right? Mm -hmm. But I've seen enough where if Sarkeesian and the coaching staff just gives him 10% more opportunities, and with those opportunities, they're more efficient, I think Sanders could hit the home run. But I'm not going in the third or fourth round for him. I don't think any, you know... You mentioned it. This tier is not worth the third or fourth round pick in my book. Well, the good news is he's not going in the third or fourth round again. Keithy's going in the sixth, seventh round, and then Sanders oh, goes in the seventh, eighth round. There you go. So okay. When I say second tier, it's not like we're Michael Trigg and, and then we're going last year. <laughs> That's what like, my mental no, is no, like. No, no, no. <laughs> no, the second tier's dropped a little bit since last year, but it is still a clear second tier. So if you're going to reach up for these guys, we got to know why. I think he did a good job kind of explaining the upside there. Bob, let's talk about some of your guys that you want to highlight in this range. You wanted to talk about Mr. RJ Maryland as well as Mason Taylor out of SMU and LSU, respectively. Talk to us about Maryland first here, Lob. What do you want to highlight with Maryland? Is it good or is it a bad thing? No, I like Maryland a lot. I think he's fascinating. Now, he's that that tweener, 6'4", 217. He kind of looks like a wide receiver, more like a big wide receiver, Maybe, you know, maybe he's put on some weight. I'm going by the old SMU website sometimes. So let's say he's 220. He's not going to be your classic inline blocker. He's an H back. He's a move tight end. He's very athletic, four-star recruits. 
He's one of the highest recruits to come to SMU, especially at the tight end position, Jared. Mm-hmm. What I like about him, I'm a big believer in Coach Rhett Lachey. Lashley, I'm sorry. I believe that Lashley's a very good offensive mind. We'll find out how good he is putting together the whole team, defense, special teams. There's other aspects. Of course. But when it comes to putting together a passing game and putting together an offense, I believe in him. Last year, they were seventh in the nation in passing, 316 yards a game. Total offense, they were 14th in the nation. So we're really talking about a high-level, high-octane offense. The question is Preston Stone to Tanner Mordecai. Tanner Mordecai is gone, and Preston Stone comes in. I wasn't necessarily the biggest believer, but I've gone back to watch a little bit of tape in high school and the, and the, the glimpses we've got of Preston Stone at SMU. Jared, I think he's a real player. Yes, sir. I think Preston Stone's good. They lose Rice, who went to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Maryland, I, the SMU wide receiver room is crowded. So crowded. But I don't know if there's a superstar. I'm not unconvinced that R.J. Maryland isn't the best pass catcher at Dallas for the Mustangs this year. So I think his ceiling is so high here. In this offense, the, you mentioned last week, I had 28 receptions last year, six touchdowns. I don't expect that touchdown total to occur. But, Jared, I think the upside is there. I like Maryland. I, I'm willing to take the risk on upside that Preston Stone hits, and this offense is one of the top 20 again in the nation. Again, I agree with you that between the talent and the history with this offense, there is a lot to be excited about with Maryland. But I think there's just enough to be worried about him here as well. I'll play a little devil's advocate here for this. Again, RJ Maryland, he's being drafted as a tight end seven right now. He finishes a tight end 27 last year. But a good chunk of that came from the fact that he got six touchdowns in his first year, which is way more than you would expect from a guy that caught less than 30 passes last year and didn't reach 300 yards receiving. Now, he's a freshman. They're working him in. They had another tight end there who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That goes to show you how impressive he was. Um, But even still, only two games last year where Maryland saw five-plus targets. The volume just isn't there yet for me to truly fall in love with him as a top 10 tight end option and i say that hypocritically as i haven't ranked in my top 10 but like i don't think i've drafted him in a good long while unless i already had one of the top tight ends he's he's another one of these guys where like if he falls and i have a better option ahead of him yeah i'll take him as my tight end too because the upside's there but at the same time you mentioned the crowded smu wide receiver room jordan curley jordan hudson jake bailey Keyshawn smith mookie dixon roderick daniels these are all serviceable wide receivers like you said do they have a superstar amongst them? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, obviously, I like Jordan Curley this year, and I like Jordan Hudson as a talent. But it just feels like that without a bit of a culling of the herd there, the targets are just not going to come Maryland's way. And if you look at Lashley's history with the tight end over the last four years, obviously, we have some great names here. Kylan Granson, Brevin Jordan, Will Mallory. But here's the other thing I see. Dropping from 43 receptions to 38 receptions to 30 receptions over the last couple of years. 
his tight end usage has dropped consistently over the last three years in touchdowns and receiving yards and in um, receptions. So it makes me a little bit worried about Maryland's ceiling here. Again, obviously, it's a great talent, but I think that there is a little too much projection going on here. I like him much better if you're, like you said, John, if you paired him up with somebody who's a little bit safer ahead of him rather than taking him as your first tight end off the board. Oh, he's he's an unbelievable second tight end. If he ever falls, I mean, that that to me is idyllic. Because I do think you, I think you're right about consistency. Because one of the things you get when you have a plethora of good receivers, but not a, a classic alpha male like a McCaw, you know, like Corley at Western Kentucky. Yep. You will have peak games. So maybe you know, maybe he has three games over 25 points. Could but be. unfortunately, there might be games in Maryland where you get three receptions for 30 yards. Yep. So I do think there'll be a lot of inconsistency. But at the end of the year, the production might and should be there. All right, John, what about your other guy here? Mason Taylor out of LSU, another true freshman from last year, making his way into the top 12 tight ends for this year. What do you think? Yeah, I'm impressed with young men who can step right onto the college level, especially in the SEC. I mean, you just said he was a true freshman. He's coming to LSU with the new coach, new quarterback. And I thought he really played extraordinarily well. I mean, you're looking at a young man who had 54 targets, essentially as a 19-year-old, 38 receptions for 414 yards and three touchdowns. If you look 54 targets this year in a Brian Kelly system as a freshman, I expect the Tigers to be better. I think Jalen Daniels is a better quarterback than he's given credit for this year. If I look at the depth chart, I don't know how many elite wide receivers that the Tigers have as they've had in the past. They have potential. They have talent. But this isn't Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase right now in the locker room. Coach Brian Kelly has had success with tight ends. If you look at his time with um, Notre Dame, he has put – tight ends into the NFL. Now they're blockers and pass catchers, but he knows how to coach this position and he knows how to use it in his offensive scheme. Taylor showed me enough. If I get a modicum of uptick in production and efficiency, I'll take 80 targets from my tight end. Now I ideally think he's a second tight end. I don't think I've had one team where I have Mason Taylor as the guy, but I have a bunch of teams where he's my second tight end with a very nice ceiling. Are you worried at all about the injuries this offseason, John? He had a shoulder surgery that kept him out of spring camp. Are you worried that kind of might might inhibit his ability to be truly meshed in with the offense going into his second year? Well, I've read and, and I have not seen anything in which the coaching staff or reports indicate that this is going to be something that holds him back. Okay. Now, training camp should probably kick off, what, in a week or so around the SEC? Yes, it's got to be soon, right? Yeah, it's very soon. Yeah. So if we see him on the sideline again or not suiting up, then I might be worried. But at this point, I think right now the way the game is, I think it's very precautionary 
to not play in spring games if you have these injuries to these young men. So it doesn't, I'm not that concerned yet, Jared. All right, fair, fair enough. All right, I say we go ahead and move on to our next tier of tight ends here. Talk about tight ends 13 through 24. This will be the last set of tight ends that we're going to discuss here. We'll start with 13, make our way down to 24. We'll start with 13 here. Benjamin Urasek out of Stanford. Followed that with number 14, Eric All out of Iowa. Number 15, Mr. David Martin Robinson out of Temple. Number 16, Jaheim Bell out of Florida State. Number 17, Mr. Tanner Koizel out of Ball State. Number 18, Mr. Michael Trigg out of Old Miss. Number 19, C.J. Dupree out of Alabama. Number 20, Rivaldo Fairweather out of Auburn. Number 21, Ben Sano out of Kansas State. Number 22, Colson Loveland out of Michigan. Number 23, Mr. Jake Brinningstool out of Clemson. And then number 24, Dallin Holker out of Colorado State, formerly of BYU. So, John, we're going, or actually, real quick, John, overall, what do you see with this crop of tight ends? Anything kind of stick out to you? I think there's a lot of potential here. You know, it's funny. Last year, we all were claiming the tight end position is deep. Mm-hmm. And I, it didn't turn out to be deep. And a lot of us got burnt. Yes, sir. What I think is actually happening is as, and I, I'm included, I think we're overreacting. I actually think this year's class is actually very deep, but we don't want to say it, Jared, because we said it so much last year and got burnt. I look at this group right here, and if I get two of these players, which I've gotten a ton of, I really like my roster construction. Yeah, no, fair enough. Again, definitely a lot of high upside guys here, but I think there's also plenty of room for some very low floor guys here. (laughs) I'll touch some. I'll, I'll I'll touch on a couple of guys here that like very much could absolutely bottom out for some people that we don't really talk about later. But like CJ Dupree, Alabama, do we get the Tommy Reese, Michael Meyer, or do we get a guy that may not even make the starting lineup? Rivaldo Fairweather, do we get the guy who showed out at FIU and is the clear best option for Auburn in terms of a pass catcher? Or does Hugh Freeze just not give a crap about using the tight end and we get a two to three point per week guy? Definitely some fun upside options here, but definitely some risk here as well. And we'll get into some of these guys here in a second. We'll start with your guys here first, John. You want to highlight Mr. Benjamin Eurosec out of Stanford and Mr. Jake Brinningstool out of Clemson. Talk to us about Eurosec, man. Why do you want to highlight about him? Again, good, bad, ugly, I don't know. So it's fascinating looking at Stanford because historically they've been very good. Zach Ertz, Kobe Fleener, Austin Hooper, Dalton Schultz. Yes, sir. We're all, were all good CFF players and they played in the NFL. I mean, very productive players. But there's a coaching change, right? So yep. your first gut instinct says, I said, well, you got this coaching change. What are they going to do at Stanford? I, I'm exaggerating, but what if they run the triple option? You know, obviously, right? They're yeah. not going to use the tight end. But then they brought in this gentleman, Troy Taylor. And I looked him up. He was at Sacramento State. And it took me a long time to figure who out, who this young coach was. But he used the tight end a ton at Sacramento State. This young man named Marsh, Marshall Martin, I it's with an E, Marshall, the second one, but I believe it's Marshall Martin. 
And Martin, their tight end, led the team in catches and receiving touchdowns. So I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. They brought in a coach who led the team, who, who orchestrated an offense around a tight end. Well, I do like Juracek's potential. I like his skill set, Jared. He was getting a lot of draft buzz last year. If we were recording this, a Debbie Dynasty Debbie show, he was getting buzz in the community. But Stanford, did they even win two games? I don't think they won two games. Um, they were bad last year. His numbers took a significant dip. But he's 6'4", 242. I like the game script. I don't think the Cardinals are very good again. They might be more competitive, but what does that tell me? Mm -hmm. They'll probably be paying from behind in the fourth quarter a lot. They're one of the worst teams in the conference. That means he should have lots of opportunities. You might have to sweat out a lot of first halves with two catches for 12 yards, but, you know, he could easily go four for 60 in the second half he could. just as the Cardinals are playing catch-up. So I have I like the athletic ability. I don't think the Cardinals, they lost their two top receivers. They bring in a coach who uses the tight end. I think I look at the depth chart. He's the best pass catcher. Now, they might have a receiver who pops that we don't necessarily know, but I don't think I'm drafting a Stanford receiver. I'm, I'm, <laughs> like pretty, a deep. Right? I'm pretty deep. I don't have a Stanford receiver. So I think he's the guy who can be the number one receiver there. Now, Jake, bring in stool. It's all about the talent. Hey, Do you mind if I oh, go ahead. make a Sorry. couple comments about Ben? Of course. Um, so Miles or Marshall Martin is designated as a tight end, but he's another one of those tweeners. He's 210, six foot two. He's basically a wide receiver, but he did play in line. So it, like that, that's kind of the thing that kind of throws me off about it, is like sometimes like people get a doesn't call the tight end, but they don't actually play tight end, <laughs> yes. aka Aronda Gadsden. But like he did play in line. Over half his snaps came in line. So like they clearly know how to use guys who are coming out of that slot. I don't know his athleticism. I don't know what, what kind of skill set he had. I'd be talking out of my butt if I tried to say that. But something tells me that a guy who's six foot two, two ten has a very different skill set than a guy who's six four, two forty-five. And so I do think that we can't make quite the one-to-one comparison like that. It doesn't seem like they asked Marshall Martin to block a whole ton back when at Sacramento State. Maybe they give that role to Eurosec. I don't know. The other part of it is what does Stanford's quarterback situation look like? Because that's also going to heavily impact here. Because you got Ari Patu, who was the backup last year. He was never super impressive. You got Justin Lampson coming in. I like Justin Lampson. But nobody out of the beat reporters over at Stanford have indicated that Lampson's coming in and taking this job. So that could be pretty ugly for them over there. But also, again, all these things, all these concerns kind of warrant the fact that why Eurosec in our consensus rankings is at number 13. If there was less concern, he'd be easily a top 12 tight end for pretty much most of us going into this year. I know guys like Mike Bainbridge are really high on him again this year. So we'll definitely see. Burning Stool, John, what do you think there? I'm banking on Dabo Sweeney made a right decision on Garrett Riley. I'm also banking on the talent. 6'6", 230 pounds. A unanimous four-star prospect. Hey, Clemson bottomed out last year. You can't say anything. That offense was bad. The offensive line was bad. It was funny, Jared. I was looking at they bringing back four offensive linemen. 
And I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good or bad thing. It's really hard to tell with like, you're like, you know what? I yep. do like the experience, right? You, you like these offensive lines of people returning, but when I watched them last year, they weren't very good. So like it, it's this double-edged sword, but I, I will say with a new coordinator, with experience coming back, I got to believe the line plays a little bit better than last year. I mean, so then what do we have? We have a new quarterback. And one thing in general, in general, young quarterbacks like to throw the ball shorter mm -hmm. than or in the middle of the field. That means you're going to use the tight end in the backs. And Clemson doesn't have a lot of speedsters out there. They don't have a lot of guys that are taking the top off of defenses. Nope. So I think Jake is in a real nice position to be a productive. Now, again, I think I've had him as a third tight end in best ball. I, I, I would never take him as number one, but I don't mind him as a number two because I do think with Cade McNamara and Garrett Riley, I expect this offense to be better this year. Clemson, now, how much better? That's a whole different story. But they were pretty bad last year. Like I was when I was looking at the yardage, I was like, they were 65th in passing, mm -hmm. 47th in total. I mean, this is Clemson. That's awful. I was say that that used to be a top five unit three or four years ago. <laughs> yes. So I do, you know, all hey, if they just get into the top 30 top team offense, top 40 passing offense. Then you know, then we're going to see some production there. Yeah, I agree with you. I I personally like Brandon Sewell. I've taken him several times as my second or third option at tight end. Like you said, I'd never draft him as my first option there. But like you said, he provides a unique threat on the Clemson offense. Like you got your guys like Adam Randall, Bo Collins in the outside. Antonio Williams will be great, speedy guy there in the slot for the most part. But Brandon Sewell kind of fits that just huge target that. For the most part, we have seen Garrett Riley. Like again, I, I'm skeptical on the wide receiver one usage for Garrett Riley over the last couple of years. Why I'm not super high on Antonio Williams, but Brenningsul, I don't need him to be the wide receiver, like a wide receiver one number for me to love him. If he can just get 45 catches, 500 yards, and six touchdowns, I will be a very happy man throughout <laughs> the year. And that's pretty much what I can probably get out of the second or third option in a Garrett Riley offense. So I'm feeling pretty good about Jake Branning. So I agree with you there a lot. Let me highlight my two guys in this range here. I got Mr. David Martin Robinson out of Temple and then Tanner Koziel out of Ball State. Opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how I feel about these guys. So we're going positive, then we're going to go negative here. We'll start with David Ro Martin Robinson. Got to give a shout out to Chris Moxley for his article he put out on Campus of Canton. God, probably is a little under a month ago now and everything, but he did a great job breaking down why Martin Robinson is so undervalued in drafts, and I have to fully agree with him. Again, finishes at the tight end 43 last year, so you know, not great and everything. He's off a lot of people's radars. But, Lob, did you know that he had 5.4 targets per game, which is ninth among tight ends in college football last year, and then fourth among returning tight ends this year, only behind Brock Bowers, Grant Keithy, and Jatavian Sanders, guys that we were talking about going in the seventh round plus. 
I did not know that till I read Chris Moxley's um, article. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I liked Warner. And I know um, I think you've talked about him and I've drafted him a bunch of times. But I did not realize he was that good from the tight end position till Moxley had written about it. Exactly. This, and again, if you're going for safety in the tight end position, this is the kind of guy that you need to be targeting. A guy that consistently gets targets game after game after game in an offense that hopefully they continue what they were doing last year. Again, I'm a little skeptical that they'll continue what they did down the stretch. But they passed for over 40 passes per game last year. Again, the volume's there. And there's really no additions to the pass catcher. Shoot, they lose Barbin, who vacates 72 receptions right there. I think Martin Robinson could be in for a huge, huge year right there. And quite frankly, the fact that he's going as the, what what did I say he was being drafted as? Tight end 17, ADP of 186. That's probably like around, like, round 16, 17. That's oh, he might absolute, be the best deal on the board, I he, think. I would say he right might now. be the best deal amongst all tight ends in the country right now. I'm shocked after that article that he didn't shoot up into that high-tier range where you see guys like RJ Maryland, Mason Taylor, Eurosec, Lachey, all of them go off of. I'm shocked that he is still being drafted as late as he is. I frankly need to get more aggressive on it. That's that, that that's on me. I, I need to get more aggressive on it in drafts. What about you, Lob? What do you think about Martin Robinson? I like him a ton, and I don't have him enough. And what, I, what I've noticed is the leagues in which I got Warner, for whatever reason, I didn't get the tight end. And that's the perfect late best ball stack. Yes, sir. You no, know, you, I mean, there's going to be a game where he has like seven catches for 100 yards and two or three touchdowns. It's just going to happen. Yep. And you want that little best ball stack. And like you said, he's coming at such a nice value right now. I just wonder if it's like people. So one of the things I've noticed over the years playing college fantasy football People get like ideas like, oh, Temple's not good. It's mm-hmm. not a football program. And because of that narrative or mindset, they just don't look for value. But sometimes there is really good value with programs like the Temple Owls. Yeah, absolutely. Let me throw out my other guy here, Mr. Tanner Koizio. In fact, I'm going to throw him out into the garbage because I have not drafted him once this <laughs> offseason. Do finish as a tight end 12 last season, currently being drafted as a tight end 15 in drafts. I get it, y'all. There's nobody at Ball State. They're going to be cat. Who else is going to catch the ball besides the tight ends? But this is a touchdown regression candidate if I've ever seen one. Less than 400 yards, and he had seven touchdowns. That's not going to happen again unless he either increases his yardage this year, which is a possibility, or the number of touchdowns are going to come down. Like, it's, it's like, he had insane touchdown luck the first five weeks of the season. He had five touchdowns in his first five games, only two the remaining seven weeks. So he got off to a really, really hot start with touchdowns, and that was pretty much it. He's there with Brady Hunt. They're going to be competing for targets, and he had 11 less receptions and 125 yards less than Hunt. The only reason why he finished even close to Hunt, is because he got those seven touchdowns. There was a big gap between the two of those guys last year. His, his catch rate is abysmal. One of the worst I saw amongst, um, amongst tight ends last year that finished this highly. 53.8% catch rate. That's absolutely abysmal compared to other guys who are typically in the low 70s to mid 70s. 
he's got to improve that. Otherwise, he's just not going to get targets that come his way. I think it's part of the reason why he kind of fell off down the, the season because he just couldn't haul the ball in. I personally, again, he's being drafted as tight end 15. That's going around other guys like, again, David Martin Robinson we just talked about, Jake Brinningstool. Um, we'll talk about a guy, Dallin Holker, who I love here in a second and everything. Brevin Spanford. These are so, so many other tight ends I'd just rather take the shot on in that range. I don't want to go for a guy that's a clear candidate for touchdown regression. My hands are off on this one. What do you think, Lob? I couldn't agree with you more, which is a perfect segue into my guy on the list, Brady Hunt. I kind of have the similar feelings about you. It's just too much is the ball state tight end position with their quarterback. And let me see what the offense was ranked. It was 70th in the nation in total offense, 69th in passing yards. They only had 228 passing yards per game. They John Paddock is no longer um, – with the team, right? I know yep. they brought in Lane Hatcher and we can say if that's good, bad, whatever that is, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. I just don't know where that much production is going to be split amongst these two players. I like Brady Hunt, don't get me wrong, but Kozel's just a pain in the buttocks enough mm-hmm. to limit his production. So I'm kind of on, he's getting drafted too high for me. So let me ask you, John, and by the way, everybody, we are moving on to the section where we talk about tight ends that are being drafted too high. If you've been listening to the crash courses the last couple of weeks, appreciate the segue there, Lob. Uh, (laughs) But these are two guys who finished in the top 12 tight ends last year. So like, clearly there is kind of room for both. I mean, Coy's only finished there because of the insane number of touchdowns that he was getting at the start of the year. But let's say Coyzeal does... Like, they, they stop going to him because he can't catch, because he's not that good. <laughs> what if that increases Brady Hunt down the stretch a little bit? What if that, if, if one of these tight ends can really kind of push the other one out, what is the ceiling for the other one? Well, if you condensed all the numbers into one of the players, yeah, Jared, we'd have a real nice fantasy tight end. It's the type of thing where I would look at the targets early, like maybe I need one or two games. Let's say Brady Hunt, in your scenario, he's getting 80% of the tight end targets. Then I would be all in on Brady Hunt. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you just said Kozil can't catch, and that's an interesting tidbit. I, I There is a lot of truth to that. But what if defense coordinators know that also? True. Right? Like, like you have this... The defense knows that also, so let's shut down Hunt. So mm-hmm. I, I just think, you know, I just think the risk right now doesn't warrant me wanting either of, unless you got, you know, the only thing I could say, best ball rounds twenty one and twenty two, and they're both there, and you want a third and fourth tight end. Okay, if one gets injured, then you might really have something in the other one, and you've already got your other two tight ends. But it'd have to be a late value at this point for me. Absolutely fair. John, let's talk about the other guy that you think is being drafted too high, and that is Mr. Jaheim Bell out of Florida State. John, you loved Jaheim Bell at South Carolina last year. What happened, man? 
Well, you know, I got to be honest with everyone. And I was the one of the biggest Bell stands. And I think if we opened the show with how we got burnt, he definitely hurt me a little bit. Jaheim Bell, I think he had one game over 20 points. And it might have been because he had a rushing touchdown on like some type of end around. It wasn't. So he, he hurt me. But it's that I try and we all, you know, put away your bias. He transferred to Florida State. What do I need to know about this player? And really what it comes down to me, he's more of a gadget player than a, than a classic tight end. So that's one concern. The athleticism is there. There's no doubt in my book about how athletically gifted he is. But sometimes you need to play tight end, right? You need mm-hmm. to play the football position. But I see too many mouths to feed on Florida State. I agree. That it, it just simply comes down to how can I love their running back? I like their three receivers. We got a dual threat quarterback. Where, where's the numbers going to come from? I just don't see it. He also has competition at the tight end position because, like, you're again, right. I, I loved I love the athleticism of Jaheim Bell, but you're talking about like, well, they they need him to actually play tight end. Well, they also brought in Kyle Morlock. A guy from Shorter University, absolute monster of a human being who can play just a traditional tight end. Yes. So, like, it's not like Bell will be out there for 100% of tight end snaps either. So, I agree with you. I personally have not touched Bell at all this offseason. I don't think I've got one Jared in 12 uh, drafts. And was, you know I like them, so. Exactly. That's When I saw you list them, I was just like, oh, I'm excited to see how John's views on Bell have shifted. All right, I'll touch on my two guys here real quick. Neither one of them were... One of them I'm pretty strong on, but the other one I'm like, eh, there's not really a ton of tight ends out there outside. Again, I talked about Coiseal earlier, but like that I really think I'm like, oh God, people are people are going to get burned by this. But I'll start with Bryant, Bryson Nesbitt here. Tight end 38 last season, being drafted as a tight end 14 in July drafts. The hire of Chip Lindsay as the offensive coordinator has just put an entire cloud over this UNC offense. We all don't know how to really go about this we're still drafting drake may and devontae walker as if they're about to be absolutely incredible but like at the same time we all are thinking like oh there's a lot of bust potential with this offense given chip Lindsay's history here yes nesbitt is one of these wonderful tight end wide receiver hybrids that we've come to love in cff gives a lot of great receiving potential there and he was the third, um, the third leading receiver for UNC last year. So you got to love all that. But UNC has a ton of receiving options. You got Tez Walker, Kobe Pesor, Nate McCollum, JJ Jones, Gavin Blackwell, Andre Green Jr. They got a plethora of guys. And again, going back to Chip Lindsey, Chip Lindsey, everywhere he has gone, has spread out the targets a ton. They don't really key in on one guy. Now that can be maybe helpful for a tight end guy like Nesbitt but kind of like um kind of like Bell there's competition for Nesbitt to get into those slot or the um the snaps at the inline position because Kamari Morales he's still kicking around John Copenhaver he's around still like again like it's not like that room has completely emptied out letting Nesbitt be the full-time tight end over there I just really don't see between the offensive coordinator change, between the addition of receiving options, and between the lack of leaving options at the tight end option, how he can really 
be much more than he was last year. If, if you want to draft your tight end for your t- tight end 14 with the hopes that he just has a floor of a top 40 tight end, go right ahead. I don't blame you if that's the way you want to do it, but like you can't think you're getting like a cheat code type of player here, especially with the number of options they have there. One thing that he does have going for him, though, is the fact that he does have one of the best A dots amongst the tight ends last year with over 40 targets. So I, that's a stat I like in tight ends a ton. So if they do target him, continue to target him deep, it may not matter at the end of the day. Um, I'm going to go ahead and touch on my other guy here real quick just to keep time going here, John. Other tight end I think is going too high. Mitchell Evans, his ADP has varied wildly in drafts, but I've seen some people reach up for him in the round 10 to 13 range, place a place where you typically see guys like RJ Maryland, Luke Lachey, all of these guys we're talking about go off. And to me, that's just got to stop. Guy's been at Notre Dame for two years. And John, how many catches do you think this man has? I'm going to say under 10. He has five. I, I mean, he has five I, I, total passes or t- five total catches and we expect him to because if you're drafting this guy in the round 10 to 13 range you're thinking that you're taking an upside shot at the next michael meyer a guy that has caught five catches in two years is not the next michael meyer y'all i'm just putting it out there i'm willing to put money on that even still we talk about the systems like oh it's a notre dame system it's a notre dame system I really think a good chunk of it was just that Michael Meyer and Cole Komet were just really good football players. And that's like looking back on hindsight, like looking at where they are in the NFL now, where they were drafted, it just probably wasn't system. It's just they were really good football players. A guy like Mitchell Evans, who again, only caught five passes in the last two years, that doesn't screen to me, this guy's a really good football player. We got to get him the ball. Yeah, he was behind Michael Meyer, but you would think they would have gotten him out there if they really thought that he was going to be something special down the line. Don't draft Mitchell Evans, y'all. I really think you're headed for you're headed for a nightmare scenario with that. All right. I, I don't have Michael Evans anywhere. Mitchell Evans on any of my teams either. So I completely people want him to be something I think right now. Like there's they want oh Notre Dame tight end Plug him in. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced either. Let's talk about some guys that are going too low here. Some guys that we like uh, later on in some drafts here. John, I'll start with my two guys here. I'll try to go through this pretty quickly. Dallin Holker out of Colorado State. I've been kind of bashing a lot of projection picks here today. between like RJ Maryland and guys like that. But I got my own guilty um, guilty pleasure over here with Dallin Holker going to Colorado State. We saw what Jay Norvell was able to do with Cole Turner just a couple of years ago. That was absolutely phenomenal. Holker shut it down four weeks into the season last year with BYU because he was upset with the number of targets that he was getting. So that tells me that wherever he was transferring to was telling him, hey, we're going to get you a bunch of targets. We're going to utilize you in the receiving game. Well, lo and behold, he lands at Colorado State with Jay Norvell, who, like I said, has done really great things with tight ends in the past. I love, love taking the upside shots of Dallin Holker late in drafts, hoping that he is the next Cole Turner because he is going late enough that I can pretty much get him almost whenever I want. I have probably the most shares of any tight end has been Dallin Holker for me in pretty much all of my leagues, dynasty or otherwise. Dynasty, redraft, best ball or otherwise. Other guy that I like here. Uh, that I think is going too low. Brevin Span Ford is a guy I was kind of high on towards the end of last year because he was just getting really, really good targets. Just never got the touchdowns that kind of came with it. 
finished as a tight end 27 last year, being drafted as a tight end 24. Dude has 60 targets last year. Where he's going in drafts, again, that tight end 24, you're not finding a whole lot of tight ends that got 60 targets last year. And if the coach speak is to be believed in Minnesota, they're going to throw the ball quite a bit more this year. So that's going to help him get even more targets. Hopefully it's going to bring up those only two touchdowns he got on only f- on f- almost 500 yards receiving last year. That's going to come up already with touchdown regression. It should come up even more so if they're going to be throwing around the end zone a whole lot more because they're not handing it off to Mohamed Ibrahim every time they get within 10 yards of the end zone. So extremely high floor guy that you're getting around 18 to 19 range. I think he should be going higher. I, I wouldn't be surprised if people started taking him in the round like 12 to 14 range. I'd be pretty comfortable with that. So, Lob, your thoughts on those two guys real quick, and then you can head on over to your two guys that you think are being drafted too low. I agree with you. I know I've listened to you a lot, drafted with you enough. I know how much you like Holker, Colt, Colorado State. I agree with you. When I put in my – I deliberately – I said, Jared's going to put Holker somewhere on this today. So I'm not going to pick him up anywhere because I want Jared to have the opportunity. And you deserve it because you've been talking about him throughout the offseason. I agree with you there. System, scheme, talent. There's just a lot of things to like right there for the new Rams tight end. You know, Minnesota, if I just felt more confident in their quarterback position – I would like them. I mean, you're right. The targets are there, but I, I don't know what the quarterback's going to do and will the targets be there for a second year. That's the only challenge that I have. I do like them. I mean, hey, if it's round 25, 26, I need a fourth tight end. I agree with you completely. You know, but I'm not targeting him. He's one of those, oh, you pop up in your queue and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a tight end. I forgot he's there. Um, Ben's in that. What I really liked is I kind of, when I was looking more at Will Howard, and if everyone, if they, if you don't remember, um, Adrian Martinez opened the season at quarterback for Kansas State. He got hurt, and Will Howard came in, and Will Howard actually played very good football down the stretch. He did. And he started to get some sneaky CFF kind of buzz rising up um, rankings and ADP a little bit. Well, what that did is that who is he throwing to? Jared, here's his last five games, 28, 17, 2. He had a stinker, 11, and 8 fantasy points. He really concluded the season as the guy, and I'm not impressed with the Wildcats wide receiver. I don't know if you're targeting. So I was like, wait, if people really like Will Howard, we don't have a Deuce Vaughn. Where are these targets and touchdowns going? And I kind of landed on Ben Zanat. I like him a lot. The other one is Preak Scorn. I don't, maybe it's because he's coming from Memphis, coming into the SEC. And I think maybe you know, maybe you can confirm this. I've had different reports who's the top tight end right now at Mississippi. I they kind of I've seen both. He's the starter, but then other times. He's not, but I like the Mississippi offense. I think it's going to be pretty good again. Now, we do know they're going to run the ball more effectively than throw the ball, but pre-scoring was so good at Memphis last year. Mm-hmm. He did make a decision, and the coaching staff brought him in. So they, I would assume the coaching staff believes that he has SEC-level 
athleticism and ability to play at that level. Last year for Memphis, he had um, 66 targets, 602 yards receiving, seven touchdowns. I don't know if he'll be that efficient with the touchdowns at Mississippi. They just have different weapons. They have a running quarterback, all that. Hennigan is more of a thrower than he is a runner. But pre-scoring at the value that you're paying, I like him a lot because if he's the starter and he's going to get 70 targets, I'll take that for my tight end. Yeah, it's starting with Sano here and everything. You talked about earlier with EJ Warner and David Martin Robinson being like a fun late QB tight end stack and everything. Yeah. Will Howard and and Ben Snow here, another great option for you. I mean, Will Howard, ADP of 17th round, QB 50 off the board versus Snow, tight end 26, 19th round. Grab both Ooh. of those guys late. Like that's that's an absolutely incredible pickup right there with both of those guys if you're looking for a fun little stack there. In terms of Old Miss and who's the top tight end over there, um, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, it it's really has gone back and forth. They're going to run a ton of 12 personnel this year. I like think Michael, so. Michael, Prick, or Michael, Prick, uh, Michael Trigg and Caden yeah. Prescorn are going to both be on the field a ton. I think it's going to be a scenario where there's gonna, they're going to kind of go back and forth in terms of who has the better day, I think both are better best ball options than they are redraft options. I still love Trig. I'm I'm still riding on that. Again, I, I see <laughs> that when he is healthy, it works. But like again, I'm not I'm not going as nuts as I did last year with him. But I was I was poo pooing pre scoring earlier on in the offseason, but his ADP's dropped enough to where like I'm kind of okay with where he's being taken right now. So all right, John, we're going to finish up the tight ends here real quick in one minute or less. Give me a tight end who is going outside the top 20 rounds who could finish tight end 10 or better. I'm going to go to Pittsburgh, Gavin Bartholomew. He had a really nice freshman year, um, 30 targets, 28 receptions, 326 yards, and four touchdowns. That was a product of having um, Kenny Pickett at quarterback and probably having Jordan Addison on the outside. Last year, Jared, he took an uptick in targets, but man, did his productivity in those targets. They just fell to the bottom. 21 out, 40 targets, only 21 receptions. However, I think he's the type of player who's very good athletically. I'll take the shot that he could finish with 65 targets and be more productive with them. All right, I like the call on Gavin Bartholomew, hopefully a bounce-back candidate, because, dude, he finished, he was the backup tight end two years ago and finishes the tight end 41 overall, and I'm like, okay, then he can absolutely jump up from there. No, just completely bottomed out. Bottomed um, out? So bad. Speaking of bottoming out, I went, I'm going to go with another guy that I was kind of high on last year. I'm going to go back to the well here. George Tecas out of Boston College. He Ooh. is their learn, their leading returning receiver coming back from last year. Boston College has done well with tight ends in the past. Think of your Trey Berries, your Hunter Long, stuff like that. Obviously, some coaching staffs have changed over since then, but they've been pretty consistent about the fact that their tight end is somebody they go to. They cost last year. 26 catches, 256 yards, only a touchdown. Not great, obviously. But Zay Flowers is no longer there. That right there frees up 78 catches, 1,000 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Dude, Zay Flowers was... An absolute selfish son of a gun last year when it came to those touchdowns. 
But not only is he gone, but Jalen Gill, their second leading receiver, transferred out. He went to he went to Fresno State, which what does that say about Boston College that he'd rather be at Fresno State? But that frees up a further 27 catches and 388 yards. Who else is going to step up there? I mean, obviously they bring in Ryan O'Keefe. I think he'll have a really good year over there. I do think that Tecas being one of those veteran guys and being a pretty reliable receiving option for the Eagles will have a really, really good year this year. And if he can finish as the second leading receiver on this team this upcoming year, that's probably top 10 potential right there, especially with them getting a little bit more stability at the QB position with Emmett Moorhead coming in and hopefully staying healthy. So that's my guy, George Tecas. Post round 20, I think that's a good upside play right there. Lob, we're done with tight ends. Let's go talk about some defenses here. And this was an interesting one for me throughout the week. Oh, shoot, I almost forgot about the risers in CFF drafts. A couple of guys who have risen throughout the year, for those of you who may not be um, who may not be familiar, we talked about some of these guys already with Down Holker and Brevin Span Ford. But Mason Fairchild's risen up quite a bit, tight end 36 in March, tight end 22 here in June. Theo Johnson out of Penn State's risen from tight end 28 to the tight end 14 in recent drafts. And then Jalen Conyers in March was a tight end 19. Now he's a tight end 5. Like he has risen a ton over the past couple of weeks. John, real quick, we're not done with tight ends. Uh, Give me your quick thoughts on some of these guys and then we can move on to defenses. I really want to like Theo Johnson. I really do. And I think I found him once or twice in like my fourth tight end as we have been discussing. But, you know, I liked him last year and he didn't come through. I just have my questions. He just doesn't. And we've had good tight ends at Penn State. I just he I don't know. The sum isn't as good as all the individual parts and the athleticism. It just he just hasn't done it for me statistically or the eyeball test. Conyers is the most interesting. I like him too. Unfortunately, I didn't realize he's going fifth off the board. That might be a little pricey for me because there's so many good wide receivers and running backs in well, t- that. Well, tight end, tight end, tight end five. Not in that round. Okay, okay, I see what you mean. Oh. I see what you mean. I, sorry, I thought you but were tight end five. I see. I see. Uh, yeah, bad, yeah. So I just don't think I won't end up having a lot of them at that at that ADP right now, or that yeah, the fifth tight end up the board. One guy I want to highlight here with is uh, Mason Fairchild. Again, he's risen from tight end 36 to tight end 22, but this is a dude that finishes the tight end 13 last year. I don't really know what is there to make people think that he can't do that again. I mean, yeah, maybe Kansas regresses a little bit, but I think that's also just people thinking, like you said earlier, Lob with Temple, they just have this idea, Kansas is bad. Kansas is bad. I don't want a Kansas player. Again, Mason Fairchild, probably one of the better receiving options for the Jayhawks this upcoming year. So I think that he is well worth the tight end 22 price that he's going at right now. All right, now we're done with tight ends. Let's go talk about some defenses. Ah. This was interesting for me to research um, because, again, we do consensus rankings over at C2C for you know quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. We don't do them for DSC, so I didn't have defense rankings ready to go for me here so a real big shout out here for uh, nick allen and justice uh on our team over there for helping us or helping me talk through some of these teams and making sure that i'm not off my rocker with some of these guys here um which by the way if you're listening to this now uh y'all should be super excited because this morning we have announced that nicholas ian allen is officially joining the campus of canton team and we are bringing all of his camp all of his cfb winning edge stuff over to the campus of canton website 
So anything that you've been able to access with him will now be able, you'll be able to access over on the website. So big announcement there. Real proud of Nick and what he's been doing the last couple of months. You should, guys should absolutely be excited about that. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to have to send um, Nick a message. That's incredible news. So I'm going to, I've known Nick for a long time. Yeah, again, it's, it's been absolutely phenomenal. He's helped out the CFF team a ton the last uh, month or so and everything since we kind of brought him into the Slack to discuss things. It's been ton tons of fun. Love having him. Anyway, so this, this list of defenses I have here, this top 12, this is just my top 12 rankings. This is not a consensus or anything like that. I'll run through it here real quick. My top 12 here. Michigan, Iowa, Air Force, Utah, Georgia, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State, Illinois, Boise State, Clemson, and Minnesota. So I guess I'll go through real quick how I kind of came to these teams right here and really kind of starts with because, you know, defenses for the most part are kind of consistent on a year over year basis. You start with, well, who performed well last year? And you look at the top 12 options from last year. A lot of them are the same. Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, Illinois, Air Force, Boise State, Utah, Georgia, Minnesota, all of them finished in the top 12 last year. Other things I look for, who are what teams are really expected to dominate their schedules? So that's why I got teams in here like Alabama, like Georgia, like Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan. They're going to dominate most of their schedules. They're just going to out-talent most people on defense. They're going to be just fine, so they all deserve shots up here. The other thing I really wanted to test out this year was how much does the kind of offense that the staff runs impact defensive performance here. So like, if you want to take shots on DSTs, here are the things you really needed to target. You need to find offenses that run the ball a great deal and they play extremely slowly. This is a shout out to our CFF guide right here because we have all of these stats in our CFF guide. Look for teams who have a low offensive pace and have a high neutral rush rate when it comes to their choice of play calling. Because in the top 20 DSTs from last year, 40% of them ranked 30th or better when it came to the slowest paces or slowest pace offenses. Eight of the top 10 ran the ball more than 55% of the time in their neutral game scripts. The only exceptions were Georgia and Michigan. And like I said earlier, those are two teams that are just expected to dominate. That's why they're able to kind of overcome that. So that's kind of the thought process that goes into why I have some of these guys in the top 12. I won't go through every one of these teams, but Lob, what's your process when it comes to picking out DSCs that you like? And then I guess, what's your reaction to my top 12? Anything kind of interesting? Well, the first thing I, I go by the first month's matchups are very important to me. Very good. And I, I, I mean, you look at Michigan at the top of the chart, and, and Michigan always opens up with the a cupcake schedule, at least for the last three or four years. I think since Michigan's gotten Notre Dame off the schedule, their early season has been much, much easier. I mean, they're oh, yeah, they wax people like 44 to nothing. I mean, and like you said, they're going to run the ball, they're going to control the clock, and they just have too much talent. So you get lots of fantasy points. I mean, obviously, every scoring system is a little bit different. But I always look at the first four months. Then what I'm going to do is I, I use, like, the ESPN early season rankings, right? Usually, or, or CBS Sports or Phil Steele, if a team is in the top 20, 
usually they're going to have a good defense. So I, I go over those top 20. I kind of look at their early season schedules. Run game is important because that keeps the defense off the field. Um, so those are things I agree with you on all of that. But then I look, I know this might be weird, but I look at high-scoring offenses, and here's why. If you have an high-scoring offense, they can jump people. And what I mean by mm -hmm. that, they can be up 21 nothing. Well, what does that do? That creates opportunities for sacks, interceptions, and returns on the other side of the field. Fair point. Because the team's got to play catch-up. And I'll, I'll talk about two teams that kind of fulfilled these of what I'm looking for this year. One is Western Kentucky. I don't necessarily think Western Kentucky is loaded on the defensive side of the football field, Jared. No, but if you look at what's going to happen when they're playing these conference USA teams who aren't very good, Jared and I have joked a little bit on Twitter. Well, X, um, how it's bad still Twitter. USA, <laughs> how bad Conference USA might be, but it's fantasy opportunity for us, right? Yep. Western Kentucky, they might blow these teams. They're going to blow some of these teams out bad, Jerry. Mm -hmm. Last year, Western Kentucky had 32 sacks. I was stunned. If you told me that Western Kentucky had that many sacks, I would not have believed it at all. They had seven defensive touchdowns. They return the ball with kicks and punts. Jared, they're not – they might win 43 to 21, but they're going to create turnovers and, and depending on your scoring system, you're not going to get a shutout most likely, I don't think. I mean, maybe they shut someone out by luck. Oh, there you go. Houston Baptist, maybe they just beat them up real bad early in the season. Exactly. But I, I, I like Western Kentucky for that. <laughs> the other one – Air Force, I could not believe their schedule. It's, Robert it's, Morris. Dude, it's it's Sam unbelievable, Houston. that schedule. It's unbelievable. They have so many pancakes, and we know Air Force is going to control the clock. They're smart. All You know, in general, over the years, the, the uh, military academies, their defense is in position. They're, they get out-athleted. Sometimes they yeah. just play teams of much better athletes. But they're smart defensive players. Air Force is going to make turnovers, control the clock, shorten the game. Their schedule's a cupcake schedule. Last year, I'm looking at one of my scoring systems here. They were 15th in the country. And I think their schedule's easier this year, so I like Air Force. I wholeheartedly agree, wholeheartedly agree with you on Air Force. That's why I have him rank, them ranked as my number three defense on the year. Like they fit, they fit everything I was just talking about. Like you said, yes. they their pace was second slowest in the country last year. <laughs> they run the ball eighty eight percent of the time in neutral situations. They know exactly what they want to do. They want to shorten the game. It keeps the number of drives that the offenses that they're facing can have opportunities to score on them to a minimum. I love Air Force going to this year. And again, we have our list of easiest schedules in the country in our CFF guide. Air Force is the number one easiest schedule in the country this year. It is an absolute joke 
of what they face. Like they they're in the Mountain West and they don't even get a lot of the hardest Mountain West teams. No, like they dodge I, so many of them. It's absolutely nuts. They don't get Fresno State. They don't get Boise State. They don't get any of those. It's ah. Anyway. Who, who is the slowest? Is it Army? Are they the slowest pace? Of, just out of I'd, curiosity, I'd have to look it up, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's another one of the. It's got to be another one of the service academies, right? That's what right? I would think. But even but even still, like Air Force, in my opinion, does it the best amongst the three service academies. So another reason why I want to get involved with them and again their schedule is so easy um i'm gonna throw out two dsts again i got my top 12 there but a couple ones that kind of fly under the radar because again people love the power five ones obviously but a couple two g5 ones i think are pretty good here uh shout out to nick allen for putting one of these guys on my radar and then really shout out to Crix moxley for the other one because he mentioned this a couple weeks ago i went and looked again they're pretty great as well i'll start with troy troy finishes a dst 17 last year I've been reliably told by guys like Justice, Nick Allen, and Chris Moxie, who pay way more attention to defense than I do, that they are expected to pretty much repeat what they did last year. They got a lot of their best players coming back over there. Um, Nick Allen over CFB winning edge has them graded out as the ninth best con- defense in the country when it comes to their roster strength. That's not among G5. That's among all of FBS. 21st in defensive performance. In addition to that, they also, like Air Force, have a really easy schedule. They're the ninth easiest schedule in the country, according to our numbers. They got out-of-conference games against Stephen F. Austin. They got Western Kentucky. I mean, that's not going to be a great one. But if you're worried about Western Kentucky, look what Troy did to UTSA in their bowl game last year. Yeah, there's some injuries on UTSA. But even still, they had the number six pass defense in the country. So they should be able to handle Western Kentucky pretty well over there. I... I'm a little skeptical because they don't meet my metrics in terms of what I like to look for. Again, their neutral rush rate was only 49%. Their offensive pace was 53rd, slowest in the country. So I would have liked that to be a little bit better. But this is another one of those scenarios where their talent could just out-talent most people on their schedule. So I say Troy's a pretty good one. Other one I'm going to throw out here, Toledo. Oh my God. Toledo's defensive roster, when it comes to the talent, clears every other Mac school and it is not close. Toledo has a 23rd ranked defense in the country when it comes to their roster strength, according to uh, CFB Winning Edge. The next closest in the MAC is Western Michigan, and they are 79th. They are clear, clearly above a different level of defense that those teams are going to have to face on a week in and week and out basis. Which, by the way, something to consider for your matchin matchups later on in the season. They, too, also have a really easy schedule. They got Illinois to start the year. Not great, but, you know, still not a super high-scoring offense, and maybe you can do something with that. But Texas Southern, out of conference. San Jose State, probably not great there, but, you know, I think that you could work with that. UMass. Like, and then it's just a bunch of Mac schools. Like, Toledo should be great for you on a week-in and week-out basis. I really like the Rockets this upcoming year. Quick thoughts on those two teams there, Lob, and then we can move on to some kickers. I will honestly, I was not looking at Toledo, so I can't. That's but those that's just an amazing statistics. If they're the 23rd ranked in roster strength, that means they're going to be good at the Mac when they're playing their competition level. I love that. But Troy, um, I'm doing my sleepers column coming up, and one of the players that I wrote about 
And it was basically because of their scheme and how they play his running back, Kamani Vidal. Yes, sir. I love him right now at his ADP. And when I was looking at Troy, I was like, they're really going to run the ball and play defense. And Kamani Vidal is the guy. I mean, I don't know. He's going way too low. That's a different story for a different podcast. But yeah, I looked at the Troy defense and I'm like, these guys are good. And I do remember <clears throat> this is where eyeball tests and stats. It's nice to have a match. When I watched Troy against Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt Championship game, and then they beat a depleted UTSA in the um, bowl game. I forgot what the lane bowl, maybe or Q- quick cure bowl, something, whatever. Yeah. I, I kept saying, wow, Troy's so much better on defense than I thought. And then I saw how many players are returning, and I looked at their schedule, and I, I read about the coach. He's going to run. Look, at Troy's good, man. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I like I, I don't know what the betting odds are for Troy to win the Sun Belt, but like, might be worth bet, taking, I, think, I would say it might, might be worth taking a look at. Yes. All righty. Let's move on from defenses here. Actually, I have one. I have one more thought I want to throw out there real quick. Again, again, Lobby talked about turnovers and defensive touchdowns earlier, and I think it does apply for a team like Western Kentucky. The one thing I will cautious pe- caution people a little bit is if you see a team that it was like super high, like defensive scoring last year, just check how many of those points came from defensive or special teams touchdowns, because that is not necessarily the thing that can repeat itself year to year. A lot of that is luck-based. I mean, just think about it this way. If you are a defense, the only way you can really score a touchdown is through a pick six or a fumble recovery and everything like that. If you get run out at the two-yard line trying to make a pick six, that's luck-based at that point. Like, you're just unlucky that you got hit out two bounds. Like hit or you got knocked out of bounds two yards short of getting your defense six fantasy points. And you don't have an opportunity to make that up. An offensive player gets knocked out of the two-yard line. Maybe they get the ball back for the last two yards. Defense, they get knocked out of the two-yard line. Guess what? The offense goes out there and they get the points. So I would kind of be careful about teams that create a ton of defensive touchdowns. And then takeaways as well, like, turnover, like or turnovers, fumbles, interceptions. Yes, there are teams like... USC last year that just had an insane number of turnovers that's kind of what they made their identity to be they're very disruptive I'm still a little concerned about how much that is replicable year to year so those are two things I would just be semi-cautious about I'd much rather take shots on teams that have historically just shut the offenses down and also have like I said offenses that complement defenses really well let's go to kickers John and I'm going to read off, again, this is my top 12 here. Again, we don't rank kickers over at Campus of Canton. I literally put this together uh, very quickly because I have not really, I, 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 again, I think like most people, I will just take a shot on a kicker and just kind of go from there. But here's my top 12 because, you know, people might ask for it. Number one, Will Reichert out of Alabama. Number two, Burt Auburn out of Texas. Number three, Jared Zirkel out of Georgia. Number four, Tommy Doman Jr. out of Michigan. Number five, Jaden Fielding out of Ohio State. Number six, Charles Campbell out of Tennessee. Number seven, Camden Lewis out of Oregon. Number eight, Corey Munson out of Western Kentucky. Number nine, Dennis Lynch out of USC. Number 10, Tate Sandal out of UTSA. Number 11, Robert Gunn III out of Clemson. And the number 12, Damian Ramos out of LSU. 
John, can you kind of guess what my overall philosophy was when you look at all these names? Like, what do I target in a kicker? I would assume top 20 offenses in the nation and if they're returning. If a kicker's done it once before, I tend to rate them higher than someone who's not done it. But top 20 offenses, and did they do it before? See, I don't even worry about if they're returning or not. Because, like, look at this top <laughs> Look at this top 12. Zirkle out of Georgia. Doman out of Michigan. Fielding out of oh. Ohio State. Campbell out of Tennessee. Like, I just care about the offense, all right? Like, <laughs> if they lose their job because they're bad, guess what? I'll go and stream a different kicker at that point. Now, that's really the strategy you should be doing with kickers for the most part, is trying to stream kickers on a week-by-week basis. Yeah and trying to figure out where the high-scoring matches are and everything like that. But say you're in a best ball league, you can't can't make those transactions. These are still the guys that I would target right here. When you look at the top five kickers last year who scored above nine points per game, what schools do they come from? Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, teams that just dominated their schedule consistently. And also teams that shut it down a lot in the second half, which means you're more likely to get some more field goals out of those teams so that's really kind of all the philosophy is there when it comes to the top 12 guys on a week-by-week basis again i look for high scoring matchups but i also look for teams who are facing team defenses that are really good in red zone defense that an offense can go 60 yards down the field but once they're in the red zone they get shut down that's where a lot of field goal opportunities come in there but i have no way of guessing which teams are going to be good at that going into the season so for now just shoot for high scoring offenses and just go from there do you have any philosophies when it comes to kickers here john no i mean i I do high scoring offenses and someone like the western kentucky kicker even if you only get one field goal you might get five or six extra points so it turns out to be worth it exactly exactly all right we got some underrated kickers we want to list out here john um, I think you went first on defense, so I'll go first here on kickers. Just two that I'm going to throw out here. Again, there's not a ton of thought put into this. I'll admit, y'all, a lot of times when I draft a kicker, I'm just like, hey, I kind of like this guy. Harrison Bevis out of Missouri was a guy that impressed me a ton last year in the game against Georgia. Had a terrible game the week before, but then came into the game against Georgia and nailed five field goals in a single game during which he also kicked the 56-yarder. So he is a very talented kicker when he is on. Missouri is getting an upgrade at offensive coordinators. I think they're going to get more scoring opportunities there. Missouri plays a ton of staunch defenses in the SEC, so I see plenty of field goal opportunities right there. Again, not too much thought into it, but if again, if you're like looking for like a kicker two, kicker three, and you're like, all right, who's going to get a lot of field goals? I think Mevis might be one of those guys. Other one I'll throw out here, Colin Rogers out of SMU, second year he's been with the team here. Finished in the top 30 kickers last year. SMU still has a Rhett Lashley offense. SMU expects to be one of the top three teams in the new AAC. I think that some of the teams they struggled against offensively last year, like UCF and Cincinnati, they're gone. So I think on a points-per-game basis, we're going to see SMU get a little bit of an uptick here. I think Rogers will benefit from that. Again, this is if you're... Really looking for those kicker sleepers right here that you really want to target. What about you, Lob? Uh, who are two kickers that are kind of flying under the radar that you would put out there for people? Well, we mentioned top offenses. So one, Florida State, I think they're going to be pretty good. I mean, they have two big games, LSU and Clemson. 
But if you look at the rest of the Seminoles' um, schedule, it's not very hard. And nope. and I, you know, Mike Norvell, I've seen him for years because I'm an American Athletic Conference fan. I'm not sure anymore, but I, <laughs> I've been for years. They've changed so much. But Mike Norvell's kickers at Memphis have been good. Yep. And I started to look at Ryan Fitzgerald. And you know what I see? A lot of 9, 9, 7, 8, 9, 11 games. Give me a kicker with a good coach who's had an experience, you know, with coaching up this position. I think Memphis has two or three kickers in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, the, the, they've been good. So I like Norvell to get that going there. And the other one, this is just about kind of offense. And when I was looking through the scores, he almost scored eight points a game. It's Diego Jaguardo, if I'm saying that, but I'm probably saying it wrong. But he's at South Alabama. Yep. I've been looking at quarterback Carter Bradley, Devin Boslin, the wide receiver there, right? I like that offensive system. Guardo had a good year last year for the Jaguars. I think he's a very good kicker. You know, if you're looking for someone late, he was 18 of 19 on field goals last year, 46 of 48 on extra points. I think the Jaguars, South Alabama is good. I like a kicker like that. No, that's, that's absolutely fair. Again, I'm I'm a little skeptical about South Alabama a little bit this year, but, you know, fair enough. Like, you're right. All righty, John, we're a little bit over time here, so I appreciate you for being patient here, but we're on uh, we're not too over time. I was thinking we were more like five like ten minutes over. But regardless, Lob, you've been fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on here to discuss the three positions that really we don't talk about enough, I'd say, but also I think it's because people don't want to hear about it as much, but it's okay. Um We're we're diehard, so we're gonna we're gonna discuss these guys all day long right here, but Lob, let the people know what kind of awesome stuff do you have coming up? I know we got some awesome drafts coming up that are pretty big deals. I know you got some awesome stuff at fan tracks coming around. Tell the people, man. Oh, thank you very much. And you know, I oh, two of my 12 have kickers and defenses, and I still have three drafts this year where I have to draft kickers and defenses. So you and I are more in this bubble of best ball, right? Where we don't use oh, yeah. kickers and defenses, but there's a lot of leagues that still do so i'm glad to have the opportunity to talk um kickers and defense with you um first thing this tuesday night fsga draft this is the first time ever folks that the fsga has agreed to broadcast a college fantasy football draft they're the fantasy sports gaming association if you don't know who they are they do amazing work at the fsga to promote fantasy games to promote our hobby and our industry and to have them jump on board. I know you're in it, right, Jared? Yes, sir. This is, this is a wonderful opportunity. The one that Jared and I have done the last two years, we can't wait for is King's Classic is less than two weeks away, Jared. My I family, can't believe that. Yeah, my family and kids are getting excited. We talk about Canton, Ohio every night at the dinner table, what we're going to do. And Jared, I know you've heard it, but the, the listeners haven't. We actually get a get a chance to draft from the Hall of Fame itself this year. I'm so the excited about that. first two years, we were kind of in a different spot. So we moved up to the big table, as my dad would say at Thanksgiving. But we're now at the big boys' table, so I'm very excited for those. And I want to thank you for coming on and inviting me to do this today. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that conference room just a little bit. I mean, <laughs> lots of good memories. Lots of good memories in there. But hopefully, we'll have a really good setup in the Hall of Fame. Uh, again, I'm I'm super excited about both of those drafts. I'm I'm taking some time off on Tuesday to make sure I get in on time for that fantasy draft over there. Because again, it's gonna be on the Better Sports Network. It's gonna be a ton of fun. Absolutely, go download that app right now so that you guys can listen in on that. Otherwise, again, over here at Campus Again, we're gearing up for the regular season. Got some stuff coming y'all's way. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you haven't already, go download and buy the CFF guide we have. They're only 20 bucks, 133 teams uh, broken down. Uh, breakdowns for all the positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Lots of other great stuff in there to help you out. But until then, Lob, you've been fantastic, a true gentleman and a scholar. Everybody out there who have been listening, you have been not as much of a gentleman and scholar as the Gridiron Scholar himself, but you still are amazing. I really appreciate you guys all listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful and fantastic week. See you guys.